Hello everyone, welcome to the Arsholics podcast on a Thursday evening, 15th of June, well past the end of the season. This is the first recording we're doing since the season finished. Well, you know, apart from the the, the season review, um, the last game of the season review rather. Um, so this is that kind of like weird territory where we're not reviewing games, but we're talking about the madness that is the transfer window, which just opened this week. Um, with me doing that, so obviously you've got me, Rajan, you've got Aaron in here with me. Hello, mate. You good? Good evening. Yes, I am fantastic. How are you? Good. I'm really, really looking forward to talking about transfers today because, firstly, we haven't recorded in a while. So I'm mm-hmm. sorry for, for the, you know, for, we should apologize to the diehard fans, right? Firstly, for that. Um, really sorry for depriving you of content. Um, but, you know, it's probably worth having a little break and just, you know, finish the season on a on a on a high second Champions League. Let's do this. We're gonna have the music back at the Emirates. Awesome. And I think we knew, we knew at the end of the season that given Champions League, given the high that it ended, that um this transfer window could be really interesting. Yeah. It was a window where clearly we've got a good young squad that even if you sign no one else are going to be better next season. And now it's about adding that quality and all the sounds were like that was going to happen. And to, to do a sort of, I guess, a brief recap in January, there was this random kind of interest, which quickly manifested into a bid for Moises Saicedo um, towards the back end of the tra- January transfer window. Kind of took everyone by surprise, right? And, and you know, it was, it was a fairly high value bid. Everyone was a bit like, what the hell? Because he hadn't joined Brighton that long ago and it was not for that much money. So it was like, geez, what's going on here? Um, but then, you know, that didn't happen. We ended up signing Jorginho instead. But clearly there was one budget and two interest in, you know, potentially getting a, um, a, a central midfielder like that. And from what we were hearing at the time, it was over and above this long-standing interest that we've sort of had in Declan, in Declan Rice. And all the murmurings, even in January, were that if Arsenal get to the Champions League in the summer, then Declan Rice was going to be number one target. And today, it's just felt a bit like deadline day, hasn't it, mate? Because Because... The window opened like a few days ago. So I think we envisaged that, you know, some proper bids were going to go in and and West Ham finished the Conference League final the other day. So like there was all this talk about, well, Arsenal would only actually bid for Rice after that happened. And today it's just been a flurry of shit. I mean, could you summarise? Let, let's let's go sequentially. So let's go, we'll do Declan Rice and, and, and Sarcedo kind of, you know, sort of sequentially but together and maybe we we do the other big story that is Kai Havertz afterwards but can you just, just talk us through what has happened today with regards to Rice and Saicedo okay um where do I start so I think look we we live in an age now where look, transfers are just different nowadays right like Declan Rice we've been talking about this for what, almost a year Right. Like even when in January, when we were talking about, uh, I said, is it Caicedo or Saicedo? You say it very, very continentally. How do you say it? I say Caicedo. So I'm one of those people. I think I know the real proper way of saying it. And then I find that's completely wrong. And to be honest, let's go with you because you were right on Lopetegui. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> and like, Myers and I were like, oh, you idiot. It's not Lopetegui, you clown. What did you say um, it was? Like Le, Le or something, or no, like, <laughs> like something like this, Le Petigu or something. And you were like, no, this like Lopetegui. We're like, where does gi come from? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah you were fully, right. You were right. 
fully fully continental no i don't know i well let's call him kaiseido because that's what i've said um <laughs> look we've we've been like even in january we were we were bidding for for him and you know i think i'm sure we discussed this at the time we were like well what does this mean for our bid for declan rice in the summer we were talking about january in january our bid for a player in the summer like that that didn't happen four or five years ago right like four or five years ago uh maybe four, maybe a little bit longer like seven eight years ago remember sol campbell no one no one knew about sol campbell back in the day he just rocked up and it was like oh, but, that, that, but that was iconic right that's yeah, yeah. that's the poster child of that that will never happen again yeah, ever fine, in the history fine, of football will never yeah happen again. that was probably our nothing hits that level of like complete unknown transfer but look you know about these things way before agents talk a lot of nonsense these days and the hardest part about the breaking news culture of transfers nowadays is just figuring out the nonsense from the from the truth and you've got to kind of filter through uh various uh twitter accounts some of them just there getting clicks some of them just regurgitating content from someone else uh and you know to this day like nothing hits like an a david ornstein tweet right so we let's caveat everything we 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 discussed today with we have no idea what's happening right we go off the same stuff that people read online the same tweets the same yeah sources of information that everyone else has and we're just guessing right but what looks like has happened is two bids have gone in from declan rice one was it this morning? Or am I making that up? Mm. One this morning, and then another one around seven PM today. So it's the fifteenth of June now. Um, and the, the murmurings first... before the first bid, right? Was that yeah. the first bid was going to happen? Personal t- terms are all sort of sorted. The clubs have been talking. There's understanding about the value expectations, and then that first bid happened in it. Yeah, and that was like a long time coming right everyone was like okay we've got to wait for west ham to deal with the conference league we can't do anything till the conference league then the conference league happened west ham won it congratulations to them and then we were like okay let's like what happens now it's like a it's like a bit of a soap opera right and then um the bid went in this morning uh another bid went that got rejected quickly news seemed to break but that you know got rejected pretty quickly and then around seven o'clock uk time there was a bit of news that another bid has gone in and we're awaiting to hear what's going on now in parallel to that there were murmurings that another club or clubs were or still are interested in declan rice and a bid may or may not be coming from manchester city uh i know chelsea were talked about but it doesn't look like that and even last week there were talks about Bayern Munich, but that seems to have cooled as well. In parallel to that, we heard that this interest in Caicedo was has now gone. Like we don't are no longer interested. Um, I never really believed many of those rumors that we were in for him this summer because it didn't conceptually make sense that we could um, that we could be in for two very very talented expensive players, but. Yeah. So did you Who think, knows? therefore, in January, when we very publicly seemed to, you know, want him, and that seemed to totally legit, right? Because Caicedo, Caicedo even came out 
yeah. and and publicly did a get me out please you know like it was one of those i've given my service to brighton this is life changing for my family let me go so so that's how, so so you're suggesting that although that was real if we had got him in january you don't think we would have pursued rice well i don't know but i guess my gut feel was could we really afford two 90 million plus midfielders in the space of one season right january and then the summer but look this is a new new arsenal right we will probably sell players this summer and we can talk about that either today or another day but we don't really know how much money we have we don't know what level of income and what kind of financial circumstances we're playing in now right because we now have champions league money we finished second we probably did quite well financially from prize money and tv rights last season um and Cronky seems to be investing more and more each year there are a lot of positive vibes coming out of the club for like what we expect to do this summer so i think we have to sort of reset our expectations a bit which yeah. is and we don't know like what level this club is going to go to Right. We know we're not a man city, right? We know we're not going to go and buy five 50 million plus players in one in one window, right? We know that. But I get the vibe that for the right players, we are prepared to go and spend a serious amount of money and break our transfer record, which I believe is still 75 million for Pepe, right? So yeah. um no, we bid we were prepared to go very, very high for Mudrick in in January, mm. preferred to go. I can't remember how high the bids for Kaiseido got to, but 75 million, I think, was around what we got to. Um, so the money was there, right? And yes, we spent it on Trossard and Jorginho, but that was, you know, probably 20% of the cost that that we were prepared to outlay in January. And look, let, let's see. I don't know. I think it's very hard to make financial predictions of how much money we actually have to spend. And in reality, that we've talked about this before, it's not really like, you know, Arsenal have a bank account with 200 million sitting in it. And they're like, okay, this is how much we can spend. And we can spend it till the bank account is empty, right? It's a lot more complicated than that. You know, deals are structured over five, six years. There's like amortization, there's accounting, there's sales, there's image rights. There's all sorts of like complexities of football accounting that you and I are nowhere near qualified enough to talk about. But mm. there's, I think it's clear that there is money and we're doing okay financially now. So m maybe, maybe we can go for two big players but i've always felt that maybe it's the old you know the austin wenger accountant in me thinking that that feels like it was a bit too much what do you think i i go back to something that you said before I, I think you were sort of alluding to the fact that we need to sort of get used to a little bit of a new age maybe i am um, i've had loads of conversations today on whatsapp with various groups of people and talk, you know talking about is x player worth it is y player worth it can you see this club spending all this money in one window ffp or all, all this sorts of stuff um so first and foremost i think setting the scene with all of that stuff is really important to understand maybe what arsenal may be doing um and again this is just my thoughts not like i have any inside knowledge of any any shape way or form but um if you think about the cronkies right now they are on cloud nine they think they've got the midas touch 
right? They've just won the NBA with the Denver Nuggets. Over the last two years, 2023, you know, 23 and 22, they've won it. They've just won with the Denver Nuggets. The the LA Rams won the Super Bowl. Their lacrosse fa- franchise won won lacrosse. Colorado Avalanche, which are they the NHL team? But basically the NHL team won as well. So they've won four of their franchises have won their ultimate trophies in the last two years, right? And their football team just finished second. Their football team that, you know, their soccer, as in soccer team, Arsenal, who they had faith in this young coach who, you know, finished eighth a couple of seasons ago, question marks, but they kept faith in him. He has delivered uh, a season where they finished second to the best team in the world, the team that have just gone and, and done the treble, this kind of absolute super club with, you know, um, 10 million charges of cheating against them. You know, they, they if you are the Cronkies right now, you're thinking we are doing everyone, everything right. We know exactly what we're doing. And you also probably feel like, do you know what? If Arteta and Edu really think that they want this player, if they really think this is the right idea, then cash-wise, we will do what we can to support them. So it's important, I think, to put that in the context cash-wise. So I think Arsenal still have a decent cash balance, but you've got owners who clearly have cash. I think they'd be willing to do that. Also, we, we're living in an era where transfers are financed in, in a very complex way, which I think you alluded to. Now, I know working at an investment bank, I do know that we, our bank, and many other banks are entering this world, a fairly new, it's a fairly new business of entering worlds where the investment banks finance football transfers. So clubs will approach these banks to say, you know, can we struck, can we, we want to sign this player? Can we structure a deal on these terms, et cetera? And banks actually get involved in that. They didn't used to do that. Um, so that in itself is pretty interesting. And I think what that reflects is that as long as clubs think they can stay within FFP, they're willing to make a lot of financial moves. They're willing to pull levers. The, I think the 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 expectation of the appreciation of your club's worth is um, is very acknowledged by owners, and I think they feel like put you know being able to sort of. Uh, you know, pump cash in or, or 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 do financial deals, take loans, etc., to improve your squad, to try and increase the value of your club, get your club performing better, and that that goodwill in terms of accounting terms that you generate for the club's value, I think they think is is worth it financially. So that so that's that. So going to the FFP point, I I think that signing you know two big ninety million pound midfielders or whatever it is. It's actually okay if you've got the cash and they're around 23, 24 years old, because at the end of the day, you know, you're signing them for that much. You're, they're going to be, they're going to have a long contract. We know how players are accounted for the, the the fees and their wages are basically spread across the course of a contract. So you sign them for say a like five year contract, that 90 million is spread across that five years in the books as are the wages spread across that five years. If you extend the contract, you get to spread the remainder across that period. And if you sell, you get to kind of, you know, it goes the other way. So you, when you sell the player, you might make a, again, if you're at this age, there's every chance that, you know, if, if, a, if you sign a Declan Rice or a Saicedo, they do really well or whatever. And then say, if they want to leave Arsenal at 27, 28, you might make your money back. You might make more, you might make a bit less, but financially it probably all doesn't, doesn't feel as harsh as a, on the face of it, spending 90 million on two players sounds if you, if you get what I mean. So, so I actually, I guess that's a long way of saying that 
the notion that we would spend this money on on two players on a Caicedo and a Rice that doesn't surprise me i don't i don't think that that was hard to believe and i think particularly that the money was there in january that clearly we were willing to do with caicedo and i clearly think rice was always a target i think they've sort of budgeted for bringing two central midfielders of that sort of worth in mate um i don't know do you agree with that if you look at um the dream we're we're probably selling cronky right like we're delivering on on the promises that we made. And that's what Arteta will be saying to Kroenke and Edu and whoever else, which is like, hey, look, a year ago, two years ago, I asked for 50 million pounds to sign Ben White. I asked for 30 million quid to sign Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, like I asked him, I mean, we had Saliba, but like we've, we've gone and like made some big signings, like 45 million for Gabriel Jesus or whatever. Like, it's not like we haven't spent. And the, the, the story would have been, look, if we invest in this team, it will deliver success and that success will be returned financially. And look, we've gone and like finished second in the league, or, you know, but barring a bit of a disaster, we could have won it. Um, and now our financial situation is far, far healthier. And we're now getting significantly more money because I think you look at like TV money, TV money for Europa League, you probably get like, I think, 15, 20 million 25 million if you get close to winning it um if you get into like the semi-finals of the champions league you get something like 80 90 million um it's like that's like 60 million pounds like and again i know it's not like you put that in the bank account and go and buy a player but that's a lot of money um yeah. it's um, cash as well isn't it it's yeah. literally cash money that comes in right and yeah. like even if stan Kroenke is looking at this from a purely financial perspective, he has seen like, look, I gave this lot some money. Now this club is worth more than it was two years ago. Um, and Arteta's probably saying, look, give us the money, back us again. And we can then go from being, uh, you know, sometimes qualifying for the Champions League to a regular Champions League team, the team that's pushing for the league, pushing for major trophies. And all of that comes with like commercial deals, commercial benefits. And from a, even if you ignore the sporting context, it properly stacks up from a business case point of view. But look, I think, look, we don't know what to expect. I think that's the the main thing, right? So I'll just read out the question now from Ryan, which says, if we had 200 million, it's 170 million wise for two DMs. We have gaps on the right striker and defense. And yeah, yeah. he's I mean, right. I, we do I, have gaps, right? But yeah. I, think, I, I, put, I put this up there. I, the reason I put this up there while, while you're talking, I think it plays, Ryan's point here plays quite well to the point that we're, we're discussing. And I think that, you know, m- my opinion anyway, you, you know, to you, Ryan, to Ryan, your question, but I think Arsenal fans generally is, I think we need to stop looking at windows as a, I wonder how much money we've got to spend. And I don't know if it comes from, partly a, a, a mainstream media culture where they kind of say, oh, you know, this club's got a war chest, 100 million war chest this summer or whatever. Or also, you know, I'm a, I play championship manager, football manager myself for, you know, decades. And, you know, you start your season and it's always like, oh, the board gives you 80 million is your budget. Now, I think in these days in particular, in football, I don't think it works like that at all. I think every single transfer is judged on its merit. It's almost like, a, a, a net present value analysis and, and, a, and a kind of a genuine financial deep dive is done on every single deal that 
every deal is going to be judged on his merit. So if I take an example, I think, for for example, a club may not be willing to spend 100, 150 million in a window on a bunch of 27 year old players but a bunch of but a, a set of own the same set of owners may pull the right financial levers to spend 300 million on a bunch of elite 24 year olds right and and i think that we've probably got to think about that in that context i think about it the only the only reason i think you know ryan ryan's point around you know if you have a certain amount of money i, I think the only reason that comes into play a little bit is when you're talking about it from an FFP perspective. So if we know for a fact, or if the club is in a situation where we know that because of the wage bill, because of the amount of outlay that we spent over a number of seasons, we genuinely have a certain restriction, then I think it's more of a case of, oh, yeah, should we really do this if we've got a gap on the right and a striker in defence and all that kind of stuff? But otherwise, I think Arsenal is sort of in a position right now um, where FFP, those everything's kind of okay. I think it's all right. And they're able to judge transfers on their kind of individual merit and financial kind of merits. I like, if you like, I'm um, Aaron and do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I think you're right. The other thing that always annoys me about transfer windows and people say like this team won the window or this team didn't do like, didn't spend enough is more that um, people forget about the wages. <laughs> you always forget about the wages. And yeah, um, look, we, we, you know, we could easily spend, uh, you know, money on Caicedo because he was on something like pre his. I know he signed a new contract in January, but before that, he was on something like twenty k a week or something ridiculous. Um, mm. Now you take the opposite, uh, like for a you know a bit of fun in our WhatsApp group, we were joking about like could we sign Mbappe, right? Mbappe is on something like something like six hundred k a week in euros on his current contract. Um, So even if we signed him for 20 million, we still can't afford Mbappe. Like we can't afford to play anyone. Maybe we could, like if we stretched it and it's Mbappe and this is getting a bit silly now, but um, we can't really afford to pay someone 700 K a week if we, if we needed to, right? Because that is, you know, the course of a five-year deal, um, another 40, 50 million quid. Yeah. But I think in that example with like an Mbappe, I actually think it's more of a case where, if if Mbappe turned round and said, "I want to join Arsenal," that's the club I want to go to. I do think the Cronkies would somehow make it work financially because you think about all of the kind of benefits that you get from signing him. You think about all the kind of commercial benefits you get from signing. Arguably, um, you know the the sort of one of the the Messi Ronaldo incumbents, if you like, right. I think our biggest issue in signing someone like Mbappe is the fact that Mbappe wouldn't come to us <laughs> yeah, over all these other clubs, right? No, yeah, yeah, okay, but you get my point, right? Which I is totally more like get what your point is. I wages, totally like yeah, people yeah. talk about Haaland, they're like, oh, Haaland only costs 50, 60 million. Yeah, but like he's on 300, 400k a week, plus all the dodgy add-ons that City have given his family and the increase in like wages and bonuses and stuff. Like um, there's so much like, the football industry is just not transparent at all with this stuff, right? We have a inkling with the fees and sometimes, and even Arsenal, they don't say, they never say we paid 45 million for this player. They say we signed him on an undisclosed fee and the agents leak the number that they want to leak, right? Um, and we never know wages because, again, I would love it if wages were public, but they're just not. So, look, we all we can do is guess. We can do some accurate guessing um and we can kind of get a feel which is like 
okay, are we going to sign four or five 90 million pound players in one window? Probably not. Right? I think we can say with certainty we're not going to do that. But can we sign two top, top quality players this summer if we need to? Maybe, because actually with our squad, it probably means that we don't then need to go and sign another 90 million pound player in another window. We can probably make do That's and just logic, incrementally add to this squad because this squad will keep getting better every year that that's it that's the logic because that, that's also the argument where people say you know when 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 people criticize man city spending a lot of the people who defend man z turn around and say oh wait but if you look at it over the last couple of years net spend man City haven't been that bad compared to the other clubs the thing is you have to spend a lot of money to get your side good when that side is good or very good like man city have been for the last few years whatever your net spend always decreases because mm. you never have, you know, all your your backup players that you sell are good. So you yeah. get money for them. They're also probably decorated. Yeah. So like, you know, they're, they're high value guys. And you, you only tend to need to buy one, two people in the w- in window. Or if you've got some top, top, top talent with a short, re- small release clause, they probably want to come to you anyway. So you get someone like a Julian Alvarez who said you don't have to put spend that much on. Everyone's like, what a steal. See what they did there. Yeah, mate there would have been about 30 clubs wanting to sign him, but he's going to Man City because they're really good. So when you're yeah. really good, you benefit from that. So yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. I mean, should we, should we only now just talk about the the players themselves that we've, we've, you know, and these deals individually. So Declan Rice, like you summarized, um, allegedly two bids went in today. There was first that got rejected. And then there was this other one, which I think you were the one who told me about that. I couldn't actually see, um, you know, the people I usually follow on Twitter. I, I didn't actually see it, but you, you were suggesting a, a bid of something. Was it like 91 million? And, 91 and 10 plus million. 10 was the rumors that I've seen. Um, so that's 91 million plus an additional 10 extra as opposed in to add-ons. 90, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and okay. Interesting. I mean, so, so actually I wanted to ask so, did it surprise you that the first bid was rejected, given what we've been told is that talks have been ongoing for ages? Even when Ornstein reported that the first bid had got in and got rejected, he was like, you know, talks have been going with between Edu and, and Hierarchy at, at West Ham. And Tim Lewis was talking to Karen Brady at the PLAGM. Like, do you know what I mean? All of these chats are going on. So did it surprise you that we put in a bid that got rejected? Uh, I don't know, man. I think... We don't really know how these negotiations work in real life, right? It's not like it's not like you're buying a, a car or something. Maybe it is like you're buying a car or buying a house. Um, in the fact that your opening bid is never um is never like the one you really want to pay, but you're just kind of testing the water, opening it, like opening the negotiations. I think I think what kind of frustrates me sometimes is that it seems like for these deals the bids get reported so quickly. And I can know with the second bid, there's some ambiguity about whether it's gone in, when it went in, like, and even the first one, did it get, did it go in today? Did it go in yesterday? How like up to date is the reporting? But like, I think it's like when you're at the level where you're analyzing every bid, I think it's very hard to compare because so many of the players that we've bought, we've probably bid five or six times for some of these players. Like remember Thomas Partey, um we must have bid for about 10 times and then eventually we were like sod it let's just play pay the release course mm, um, yeah. and look i think personally i do think we've shown 
we haven't really demonstrated the ability to do these big money deals in in terms of execution and there's reasons we've walked away and they're all valid reasons and we discussed this in depth in january which was like should we have gone to like 100 million for madrid should we have gone to like 80 90 million or did we even actually with kaisedo brighton were like he's not for sale and we just kept bidding right like i think there is a bit of pressure on the arsenal hierarchy to make sure this deal gets done because if he does go to man city i mean it depends why and how but that would be very, I think, embarrassing for yeah. for Edu because, like like we said at the start, this is a deal that we've been talking about for over a year. Like it seems like we've got the player on board. It seems like we've invested a lot of time. I'm sure Arteta's probably called him up a few times, maybe even had dinner with him. Who knows? Um, and like now, it's just a case of like you've got a, kind of a gentleman's agreement that this is going to happen. You just need to make it happen. And if and yeah, clubs do come in at last minute. Like Mudrick, it seemed like it's a very similar story. We were linked with him for a very long time. And then all of a sudden Chelsea come in and we're in a bidding war and then we lose out. So there is some rumours that the reason the second bid has gone in so quickly, again, I stress rumours, was that we're worried that this could become a bidding war. Um, and again, we I've seen rumours, and I stress just rumours, that Man City might bid tomorrow or something like that. Um but no, we have to get it done. I think he's a he's a player I really, really like. Um, I, I've always admired him. I think it would be very, very interesting to see how we set up with him in our side next season. Um, but look, I think we just need... He's a quality player. He's probably going to be an England captain one day, maybe even a shout for Arsenal captain one day. Um, and we just need to go and get it done. Once you're in... Like and this is this is new territory for us, right? Like how when was the last time we went in for one of the top young English talents um in the Premier League? Like yeah. we we just don't get involved in, in deals like this, right? Because this is like this probably will be the biggest deal that happens this summer across the Premier League. Um yeah, unless Man United get taken over by Qatari investors and go and buy Mbappe, like <laughs> this is gonna be the biggest deal. Right. So this is a, you know, we've got to put our big boy pants on. We've got to like, act like a big club and like get it done. Because once you're in, you're so far down the line, you can't lose out. It's, I agree with you. T- totally agree with everything you've said. He is, like you say, you know, arguably, uh, you know, on a par with anyone in his position in the world in terms of his skill set. And he's, you know, been described as a really unique midfielder as well who, he plays in this role for for West Ham in a really sort of deep role, but the way everyone sort of who seems to play with Declan Rice and have coached Declan Rice, you know, all the analysts seem to suggest that he does that role at a world class level. But he can do so much more. It's just that that's what West Ham need him to do. But he could be a more progressive midfielder. He, he's got literally everything. Um, so, it, with that in mind, mate, why do you think it is that, at least in terms of all of the preparation like you know all the kind of rumors we've heard since january apparently we've been putting the hours in what why is it that seemingly we've had a free run at that why is it that arsenal have been the front runners for all this time and and even now even with the rumors about man city lurking and someone i saw another rumor that chelsea might be lurking and other clubs might be lurking or whatever why is that all happening now 
and why do you think none of that seemed to be happening before yeah it's a good question um i think like there's obviously the personal side of things and <clears throat> this is an advantage that arsenal have that we don't talk about anywhere near enough which is we're in london right like one of the best cities in the world to live in um especially if you're cons- a very very rich young man in the in his 20s um and we have that inherent geographical advantage over other clubs right like this is something that i reckon newcastle will struggle with at some point and they'll probably have to overpay some players because you know would you rather be on i don't know 120k a week at arsenal or 150k a week living in newcastle like i reckon a lot of you know foreign players will say i just want to come and live in london because it's that they can party it's international i mean it's not even it's not even the partying element isn't it because people talk about how the families of footballers play a massive massive deal right so you've got the wives you've got the girlfriends you're like i don't want to go to like newcastle i want to go london yeah because it's international they can settle in um i'm sure i've told you this before but i've got a a friend who is uh in a wives and girlfriends club with a, a bunch of Brazilian footballers. Right. So, um, they, and they have their own communities and like there's a big Brazilian international footballer community in London. Like William hangs out with, uh, Gabriel Jesus, like, uh, Edu hangs out with a bunch of the older retired players. Um, and, and it's all like, it's a community. I don't think you have a Brazilian wives and girlfriends community in Newcastle. Like, Maybe it's like Gimarash and, and, yeah, and Joe Linton. <laughs> yeah, is Joe, is Joe Linton. Those two, I get out. Yeah, so and I don't know. Like, I don't think Sunderland have any Brazilians that they can just work with. Like, so, um, like all of these little things. Um, yeah, it's a really good point. Like, help us. And I did see that apparently, again, all these rumors. I don't know if they're true, but Chelsea were in for him a while ago, but there were personal circumstances which they just messed up and some, they did something that upset his family. Um, whereas Arsenal made a very like family friendly bid to him. His family is like pitched the dream of like, stay in London, move your family here. Um, this is a club where you can settle and grow and all that stuff. Um, so I think we're getting better at that. I think actually another factor is uh, Mikel Arteta. I think, he's at the stage of his career now where actually players do want to come and play for him. And I think if, look, he's not Pep, obviously. And, you know, Wenger did this so many times back in the day, he'd just pick up the phone and say, come and play for me and sell them the dream. And I think Arteta's getting quite good at that. I think players will see what this young team did last season, the way he's improved so many young players, the the vibe of this team, the kind of young, brave, you know, fearless team that we've put together. And if you're a player in 22, 23, thinking about where do I want to spend my, you know, my next, my, you know, my five-year contract at the peak, you you probably want to come and do it at, at Arsenal. It's a very, very attractive proposition. And very I think t- Mikel Arteta stable. will, yeah, very stable. It's not, it's not Chelsea, right? Um, you look at what happened to Chelsea last season. And of course, they probably will stabilise at some point, unfortunately. But, Chelsea is a club that has a new manager every two years. Um, and yes, you could be in with the manager now, but who knows what the manager is going to be like at the end of the season? Who knows what the manager is going to be like in, in two years time. And it's, it's genuinely, genuinely bonkers why players would sign a seven year contract at Chelsea. Um, I mean, 
actually it's not that bonkers they get paid a lot of money to do that but um if you're looking at it from a career point of view i don't think chelsea's attractive like but yeah we're we're a really good story right now and i think that really really helps us um especially when you're aware of what the arsenal story is you live in london you probably get vibes when you've grown up and spent a lot of time in london um i reckon that's probably what did it and let's see let's see we've got to get it done um as ryan says if this is the main target i say pay the money and do it fast no need to waste time west ham will sell to the highest bidder if someone else comes in and that's true right if man city come and offer 130 140 million like we're gonna have a problem um yeah yeah i don't know if they need um i don't know if they need declan rice but this is man city they've just won a treble they're also a very attractive proposition right now yeah, and, and sim- you know what, similarly, like Pep, similar to Arteta, you don't really know tactically what they're thinking about for the next season. Like if you, and this is what I think is quite important as well when you look at the sort of players that Arsenal seem to be targeting alongside Rice, is that when you look at the beginning of the season just gone, no one thought we were shaping up with Ben White at right back and Granite Xhaka in this progressed kind of like, you know, box eight role no one thought that was going to happen so in the same way you know we i think at the moment are thinking about our team we're thinking oh we signed rice and he fits into this role and so and so in this role but actually i've got no idea what arteta is actually going to do next season you know and and i think pep's sort of the same because a part of me sort of thinking yeah why would pep want rice he's got rodri you know he's got I mean, they Calvin might get Phillips. Of Calvin Phillips, yeah. but you know well i mean the thing is this is the thing this is quite uh, one of my mates he Prash, he, he, he said, he, he sort of made a point, he said he can see Calvin Phillips going to West Ham to replace Declan Rice. And, you know, that, I hope that doesn't come into play. And I don't, you know, if, if Pep Honestly, massive... like, there's irony in that himself. Like, if you're Declan Rice, yeah. you're probably thinking, like, well, what if I'm the next Calvin Phillips? Like, I, agree. I, uh, I, was, I agree. I loved Calvin Phillips when he was at Leeds. I thought he was fantastic. And he's gone there and he's still a fantastic player, I think. And wherever he goes next, I think he'll do really, really well. And any club, I think, would do very well to get him. Um, he's probably thinking, well, hang on a sec. Like, I might not play every game. And I mean, I know at City, no one plays every game. But you you want to be like, I think, if you're Declan Rice, you don't, you want to be that number one. You want to be the, you know, one of the main guys in the team. And I think that's another dream that Arteta will be selling is you could be, the main guy in this midfield for the next six, seven, eight, nine years, if you really wanted to. Um, I think you'll also say that, you know, that as well as the fact that he's young enough that after a couple of years, after you know two, three years, if Arsenal aren't really progressing, if we're not looking like we're going to be able to challenge for the major trophies, he's still young enough to get that move to Man City or to Real Madrid or to, you know, whoever it is. Yeah, but do you think, I don't think Arteta's, telling he might be thinking I'm, that, I'm just telling that, telling that but yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah, but, I, um, yeah i agree yeah he's probably realizing yeah look this isn't the move of my life i'm not you know 27 28 where my next contract is going to be my final one but mm. equally this is a place where you will be loved and i think players are all very very different you know some players are more mature some people go for the the vibe some people love a challenge some people love stability some people want the team built around them some people would hate 
you know, being in another team with another ego and that like another big, big player around them. And I think the types of players that we're going for are also very, it's very clear that we're not, yeah, I don't think we'll ever sign a, a Ronaldo type, for example, like a big ego of, you know, we're, we're, we're building a team of good boys, right? And I know yeah, like yeah. Graham Sunes took the, took the piss out of us because we're a team of son-in-laws or whatever it was like. Um, but like you look at Saka, you look at Odegaard, you look at uh, Martinelli, you look at Ben White, you look at uh, Saliba, like these are young players, confident, technically good, but also players who seem like their head is screwed on, you know, players who behave themselves, players who has discipline, players who I'm sure let loose at times, but actually, you know, I saw an interesting tweet say actually a lot of our players now are 24, 25 and having their first kid and getting married. Um, yeah. <laughs> like apparently Arteta's pushing the family life on them. Yeah, I saw that um, tweet as well, because even I think one of the, I think our assistant coach got married as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just yeah. convincing all these 23, 24 year olds to have kids. I think I saw Ramsdale's missus is pregnant now. Um, so look, this is uh, it's all part of the story. And I think this this matters to some players. And if Declan Rice wants, you know, that matters to him. I'm not sure what where he is in his family life. And this is going really deep now. I'm not going to start speculating on when he's going to have kids and stuff. But um he it, all this stuff might really appeal to him completely agree i think the the chelsea stuff i find really interesting because it felt like before there were strong you know when arsenal started being interested the rumors came i don't think anyone really took it seriously and then all of a sudden it became the thing and it became that well arsenal are really interested and it's gonna happen but i think before that everyone thought he was going to go back to chelsea and i, I always found that interesting because obviously he was released by chelsea um, so I always feel that if, if a club have released you, you, you probably want to, you probably don't want to go back. There's probably something that, you know, it's, means that you, you don't want to go back there. But then there was, you know, there was this thing about him being best friends with Mason Mount and the idea of them getting to play together would, you know, be a dream for two best friends. But now Mason Mount is leaving and that kind of, you know, it was sort of, yeah, there's been suggestions that Mason Mount's future has been tied in somewhat to Declan Rice's future to go to Chelsea. I, I personally can't see that um, being such a big pull. Like I can't imagine him going to Chelsea just because of Mason Mount. Um, but I still do find it interesting that we seemingly aren't, um, that that maybe, you know, Man United or, or even Liverpool haven't been really battling for this in the same way that it, it you know, feels like, you know, we've been really going for, but it might, like you say, it may be because the work was done very early. He really wanted to stay in London and, and you know, that, that was that. I mean, what's your feeling? Do you, do you think this transfer will happen? Uh, yeah. I think we're too invested in this now. And actually, I think what might happen is we end up potentially overpaying um, to get it done. Do you um, think it's because, is it, would you think it look embarrassing if we don't get it done now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... We because actually Man City probably won't go and they've shown like very sensible restraint um in transfer dealings. So I don't think Man City will go over, but actually if Arsenal have to go over, we probably will. Um yeah. and actually if you're a you know, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often, which is if you know your your rival is gonna spend big, 
Like, I'm surprised other clubs just don't bid just to make them overpay more. Um, like, if you're Man yeah. City, you're just like, let's just throw in another 10 million and make Arsenal go and bid another 20 million. So that means they can't go and then buy another midfielder because they're overpaid by 20 million. Right. But um, is your concern not that the, the West Ham go, okay, cool, we accept your bid? Yeah, yeah, fine. But, um, yeah, like I, I'm sure there are tactical ways of playing. I'm sure agents like say, actually, could we just yeah. put out a story saying Man City are interested because we know Arsenal will shit themselves. Um, but look, I think a lot with these big, big money deals, I think the landing zone is generally known well in advance. They know, they agree the personal terms. They've probably had very like frequent discussions with West Ham saying that this is what we've got. Is this okay? I don't think we bid without knowing that there's a realistic chance of getting the player like this early on when it's a day, when it's deadline day, we're throwing bids out for like, you know, oh, who's a Douglas Louise and all that stuff. Or we're just yeah, chucking an extra million every hour. That is a bit more chaotic, <laughs> but this seems like it's been part of the plan. And usually those things tend to work out for us. Agreed. But the jury's and, out. Let's see. Agree. And are you disappointed with the rumours about uh, Caicedo that, that seemingly we have dropped our interest? And and do you... I, like, I, I, this is incredibly speculative, but I, what I was about to say is if we have dropped our interest in him, do you see us going for another central midfielder of that type of profile? I would love us to sign another midfielder because I think central midfielders now are like probably the most important position, like players in terms of the way the game is played. Like you look at Arsenal with Thomas Partey, you look at Arsenal without Thomas Partey, especially before Jorginho rocked up, like it was night and day. And you, they're really, really hard to find. Um, so like Liverpool signed McAllister again. They, they've been trying for almost a year to sign him. That was another one that you kind of felt for like the last three months, everyone was like, yeah, he's going to Liverpool. Um, yeah. So, and I, I don't even think McAllister's that good, if I'm being honest. Uh, he's like a decent, tidy player, but I've like, seen from a few Brighton fans, they think like he's just a bit like, he's quite easily replaceable. Whereas with Caicedo, they're like, this guy is like bloody quality. Um, so let's, let's see. I, I hope we get it done. I hope... I would love another midfielder. Um, I think that would also impact who we sell and who we let go and what happens to the midfielders we do have. Because um, we've still got Jorginho, Xhaka, all that stuff, but him having a deal agreed, that's gone quiet a bit recently. Well, allegedly um, it's because that's all done, but it was we're wet, Arsenal waiting to sign someone before we let him go. Yeah, and that allegedly. Hopefully that was, well, not hopefully, but you would assume that's one in, one out rather than we're going to sign two midfielders and then we'll let you go. Yeah, um, exactly. So let, let's see. Um, I'm optimistic. I'll be, the day we get that done, I'll be really, really happy because I'll be, I think he's a really good player. Um, Agreed. And fingers crossed we get it done. Agreed. We haven't talked about the, the transfer that just, that really came out of nowhere because the two that we've talked about now, you know, they've been bubbling, as we've said, from January and, you know, in, in Bryce's case, maybe a little pr even prior to that. But no one, no one anywhere, anywhere was talking about Kai Havertz to Arsenal. No one anywhere was talking about Kai Havertz to Arsenal. And what we understand over the last 24 hours 
is it's not just a little bit of interest. You know, it sounds like the clubs are actively negotiating. Arsenal have been allowed to either speak directly to Havertz or you know through representatives. Whatever's happened seems to suggest Havertz wants to come to Arsenal. Personal terms have progressed. There's you know apparently that's not an issue, so that bit's all almost done. And this is just a fee situation. And I think there's some further interesting points where some people are saying that. Chelsea really want to sell Havertz before the 30th of June because it is going to impact their FFP ratios. They basically need to get someone off their books of that kind of level. Um, and they want to get it done quickly. Arsenal are happy to try and get it done quickly. Sounds like Chelsea have been, you know, so recall Chelsea signed the guy for almost 90 million pounds. Like it was a deal rising to like 90 million pounds. I don't know the structure of it, but that's a, a massive wad of cash. Right. And, Seemingly, you know, they they obviously he's a 24 year old footballer. He's a German international. He has, you know, not had a, a good season at Chelsea. And and any Chelsea fan I I I know and have spoken to, even a guy today at the gym who's he always he always kind of tends to to interrupt my workout for about five to ten minutes just <laughs> rant, rant about something. And he did today again. But he's just like he thinks habits is awful. He thinks he's terrible. He's like, I can't believe Arsenal won him. But anyway. All, all that in mind, Chelsea want a, want a high fee. Apparently, they want around 70 million. Apparently, Arsenal don't want to go near 70 million. Um, Real Madrid apparently have been interested, but won't pay even 50 million. And the, the, the murmurings that seem to be, I don't know if you what you've heard, but the murmurings seem to be that Arsenal are quite willing to sort of play in that 50 to 60 million range, and something could happen around that. I mean, okay, like, f- f- firstly, um, how surprised are you with it? And how do you feel about the prospect of us signing Kai Havertz? Uh, I have mixed feelings. I think the, what's the word? The uh, the Arsenal fan that was brought up in the, the Wenger era probably gets quite excited about a young technical midfielder, midfielder attacker, um, like the Nasri Khleb type of play. I know he's a bit different but that kind of like he's very clearly like a gifted technical player and I think we discussed this in WhatsApp in our group chat which was I like the idea of like a manager unlocking someone's potential and yeah you know, he clearly has that potential yeah. which is yeah why Chelsea played 90 million for him I was a big fan I really enjoyed watching him I watched him a surprising amount for like I don't watch a lot of like German football in general but I remember that season watching Leverkusen quite a bit. Um, and I remember thinking this guy is like ridiculous. They must have been the Champions League that year as well and they he did really well there. Um and I've always and when I watched him at Chelsea, I I just didn't really get him. Um I didn't really know why. And it's really hard to analyze a player when they're at Chelsea, especially last season where everything was a mess. <laughs> like literally Every player that went into that team, went into that system, the multiple managers, they just couldn't make it work, right? So last season is very hard to analyze. And, you know, I think we've looked at it when he played under Tuchel, was it? Where he played pretty well. Um, But, yeah, on the downside, this is a player who's come from 90 million into the Premier League and hasn't been able to consistently deliver in the Premier League. I think that's fair to say that. He's he's had good moments. He's had 
good games, scored a Champions League final. Um, but he hasn't consistently been like that guy that solves Chelsea's problems. And, you know, we could argue where, where where's his right position, you know, what what does he do best, but whatever he's done, he hasn't been able to make it work. Um, yeah, agreed. So this is a risky signing. I think that's fair to say, especially it's a risky signing if you pay a lot of money. Um, because unlike if you sign a, a 50 million pound player from the Bundesliga, or even like you say, let's say 50 million pound for Mudrik, you kind of, it's a, he's stepping up a level, the player's stepping up and you kind of think, can he do it at that level? Habits has had two years or three years at Chelsea where he hasn't taken that chance. And when I watch him now, I think he does sometimes lack that intensity and that uh that consistency to to really like drive and own a game it's a bit it's a bit like um a bit like ozil in that sense in the sense that like ozil is very good and i'm not saying habits is ozil but um there were times where you were like well, what are you doing like why are you not why are you not like doing the stuff that you're yeah. really good at? And I reckon that's probably why Chelsea fans are probably quite frustrated. They're just like, what is this guy doing? Like he's a quality, quality player. We know he's quality, but he just doesn't do it all the time. And maybe he's, he, the only thing I think is maybe he's a type of player that, you know, some players don't want to be that guy. They don't want to, you don't, there's some players that you don't build a team around, right? You, they are, the the guy that you put behind the tech guy that you built the team around in that sense right and maybe this arsenal team where he might just be the 13th or 14th guy in the team and we build a team of like 20 where you actually have 20 players who can interchange and play 15 20 games a season um maybe that's the role that will actually bring out the best in him and um he could just be a really really good supporting act um a bit like a bit like Mares for city which is like Mares is a very good player right and he will score big goals but he doesn't start every week for city but then you know that when Mares comes on you can play him for five games in a row and you'll be you'll be cool with that and you'll he'll deliver and then you can just take him out again because you have one bad game and that's okay because you've got Bukayo Saka because you've got Martinelli you've got Trossard you've got Erdegaard you've got Declan Rice all these players around him who just where there's less pressure on him to be that main man in the team yeah yeah yeah. I think it depends on the fee what what do you think um I think that it makes sense for a lot of reasons as much as it is a bit left field and you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be the concern about the fact that he had such a poor season, the one just gone, but for so many reasons that, you know, you just articulated mainly about the fact that, you know, the Chelsea was just an absolute mess over the last year. It's very hard to really hold any of those players accountable, but let's look at it this way, right? He is a very two footed player. Like I think he's predominantly left-footed, but he's incredibly two-footed. Prior to Chelsea, he played a lot in those right-hand areas, whether it was for Leverkusen or even Germany or the German kind of youth teams. He was playing in that kind of right half space, right wing, which makes me feel Arteta would have looked at that and gone, brilliant, 
he can he can rotate with Bukayo, you know, because we know Arteta wants a left footer playing on that side, you know, and 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 and, and Saka needs someone who can take minutes on, so he's got that, but he's also got you know Havertz who seemingly Havertz's best position or the position that he seems to have excelled in the most is at number ten, where he has you sort of I guess originally started playing for Chelsea, but. Um, doesn't necessarily seem to get as many minutes as number 10 as he would like because he's been played more as a number nine at Chelsea this season. Germany seemed to play him as a central striker as well sometimes. Um, but he, he certainly feels like a guy that can play in a lot of the positions that Arteta likes to to try and rotate in. Clearly, even with Odegaard, you know, he, he Ode- we were very lucky last season, so lucky that Odegaard and Saka just stayed pretty injury-free. But in Havertz, you probably got a guy who can play in both of those sort of roles. Now, one would argue, yes, look, there's lots of left-footed players who can probably play in those kind of roles. I'd probably counter that. Is there really? Like, I can't think of that many. And the other thing is that we know Arteta and Edu seem to really love Premier League proven players. They've signed so many yeah, Premier League proven players. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're doing it almost repeatedly. Like And... If you look at the, the the three players that we've been talking about this window, these are all Premier League players, right? And they obviously see that as a premium. So maybe that is one of the things that they look at. And you know, I I, I feel like he is the kind of player that that needs a coach to just reinvigorate him. There's there's obviously some class and talent there. So I'll be honest, I, I I'm I'm cool with this. I, I am really cool with the idea of us um, signing Kai Havertz. I think that it probably sounds like I'm being overly optimistic as an Arsenal fan. Like I, I, I do very much drink the Arteta Edu Kool-Aid um, and, and much of that has been because they've been, you know, they haven't given us much reason to doubt them recently. Um, I feel if they're willing to go spend that money on a player like that, then I think the rationale is probably there. And Arteta probably looks at him and thinks I can, I can do something with this guy. I can take him to another level. Again, good age really good age. He's got that time on his side. We get him on a long contract. Again, when it comes to finances, I'm not so concerned at that age, give him a five-year contract or so. If you can spread it over, I think it'll be okay. So yeah. And then, and then maybe you can sell them on if it works out, if it doesn't work. So all of that, I'm not so concerned about. Um, it has massively taken me by surprise, but I'll, I'll be pretty pleased if we do it, to be honest. I think there's something quite exciting about taking a player who's flopping at a rival and turning him into like a world beater. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen that often though. And that's the problem. <laughs> Usually when a player isn't doing that well, um, it's very rare that you just turn them around um, that quickly. And the demands on him will be very intense, very quickly. Um, so that's, that's the downside. That's the risk. Um, but you're right. I think, but we say it's a risk. We're a very loving fan base, though. You know when you say that, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't yeah, think I we're the sort of sort of fan base that will turn on it. We'll be very supportive. No, no. Yes, but I can see a situation where it does turn ugly. Like if he has a season like Vieira has had this season, mm. I think people will turn on him because you're not. This isn't a first season Vieira type player. This is a player who's been in the Premier League for three years. Uh, and we've probably paid a fairly decent chunk of money for him. And I think a lot of it will depend on the fee. Like if we get him for, let's say, 30 million or something, oh, that's a very different proposition to if we signed him for 60 million. But, don't, um, yeah, but again, why should we care? Like if we, do you know what I mean? Why, why, why should we care? I think psychologically, 
as Arsenal fans, we we love doing transfer. We love being transfer accountants, right? And I know, yeah. What people will say is because we paid sixty million for Kai Havertz, we couldn't buy Caicedo, and he were or even worse, we paid sixty million for Havertz, and it allowed Chelsea to go and then buy Caicedo. Um, yeah, I get you. And people will remember that, <laughs> uh, and. Um, there might be an element of truth in that. I don't know. Like you, you do give Chelsea good money; that you get them out of the hole, right? And I think if we're strategic about this, we wait, right? We have no need to do this deal quickly. Um, we wait till Chelsea are in a tricky financial situation where, look, we wait till the thirtieth of June, and we pick up the phone there and say, "I'm going to give you fifteen quid for Kai Havertz." <laughs> and um but do, do, you, do you get the same issue though right like if, we, if it gets that low then other you know we're we're led to believe that real madrid are the other main interested party yeah but i don't, I don't think put it this way if kai havertz ends up going to real madrid yeah. i don't i won't be as annoyed as if for example declan rice goes to man city yeah but i think my point is but my point is are we have a legitimate path to to signing Havertz as opposed to him joining Real Madrid if we're willing to perhaps pay that little bit extra but if we go down to you know if we go go down to your bargaining route like you say and we start dropping it below you know get down to I don't know even that 40 million range yeah you know I think I can see Real Madrid going oh hang on a minute I'll have some of that maybe yeah maybe I again I think it's all about like can we sell him the dream look I think Real Madrid can sell a very very attractive dream too right? yeah but yeah um, if he's got those two clubs to choose from i reckon you know he goes real madrid right like yeah. it's not even because it's not even like it's not you know he, i don't know what arteta will tell him but clearly apparently he's interested in the project and wants to join i know what Arteta has told him then but i'm sure arteta hasn't told him listen you're going in and you're going to start for me every game like that's not yeah. gonna happen he's not he's unless he's unless he's signing Havertz as a number eight and this is and we're we're looking at a Rice and Havertz like central midfield combo like that that it blows my mind slightly um I'm not sure if Havertz has got a good history of playing a number eight Brash did tell me you know a Chelsea fan that they tried to play him a number eight and it was not good so no I don't remember playing in that role I've always like you said seen him in more of a right-sided role when i've ever seen him up top as a number nine i've always thought this guy doesn't really look like he should be playing there but look i think the other thing is and we've we've talked about this before which is i don't think i think we're moving more and more to this man city model of not having a first 11 and a second 11 and you've said this quite a few times raj which is this notion of like the backup number 10 or the backup striker or the backup midfielder isn't going to exist. And that's the idea is like, we won't, we won't have a, we won't have a premier league squad and we won't have a Europa league squad. We will have 16, 17, 18 players that will play. And it doesn't matter because you're going to go from champions league to premier league to champions league to premier league to a, a big FA cup game. Yeah. In the league cup, you can play, the second string players but you're gonna need to rotate and actually with that rotation comes tactical 
changes as well. I think Arteta will probably have to really think hard about the systems that we play and how we adapt because, yeah, you can play. There's, you know, even if let's say we did get Declan Rice, we don't know. Like maybe we change the system. Like where does Thomas Partey and Declan Rice fit in this, in this system, mm. right? Where does, how does that work with Martin Odegaard? How does that work with, uh, you know, if we sign a wide player, how does that work with Sacco, with Martinelli, with Trossard? Um, there are, like you said, we we were we were we were expecting one thing, and all of a sudden we rock up with Ben White at right back, right? And and now, like towards the end of the season, we play Kiviour at left back. Um, so I think we will become far more tactically flexible, and I think what we've been doing is signing players who can play in at least two positions um and when you can do that it means that actually you get a lot more games and because mm. you can maybe like pay ben white ben white's the classic type right we can play ben white at left back right back we can play ben white at center back tommy asu again we signed him because he can play left back right back center back um yeah with kivio another player we thought you know where's he go center back left back apparently even defensive yeah, midfield yeah. Rice is a very similar player. Um, so I think Trossard very similar. Jesus can play centre-back, play sort of centre-back, uh, up front, <laughs> play, <laughs> play the right. Maybe he can play centre-back at one point. Um, so things will change, right? And there was a really good article by, uh, what's his name? Lewis Ambrose, right? Who writes for Blog sometimes. And he basically compared our squad and the minutes they played to Man City. And it was like, Basically, we had like five players that played more than 25 games or something like that, right? Yeah. Man City never had had no one that basically played that many games or like that frequently or something like that, or had very few. Whereas we had a lot of players that played between something like five and eight games last year. But Man City also didn't have that many players. What they instead have is a big, big chunk of players that play between... 10 and 20 games a season. Yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. Because they don't have a first 11. Yes, they play Haaland every game. But apart from Haaland, they, everyone else can just rotate in, out, in, out, Champions League, Premier League, and they get rested and they don't burn out by April. Um, we played basically the same 11 every time they were fit because they're good, but also because we had no squad to rotate with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you do have a Havertz, if you do have a, a Declan Rice and that pushes someone good onto the bench, if you have a, I don't know who else we'll, we'll get, but these players need to, we should be signing every player with a, you will play 15, 20 games, except when you sign a, maybe a 17, 18 year old, like that's a, you're a league cup player. Like when we signed, what's his name? What's that guy who went to Norwich? Marquinhos. Yeah, Marquinhos, right. He was never going to play 20 games a season, but he um like i think that's the idea so and with that will mean tactical flexibility so i wouldn't be surprised if we rock up with the like a jesus and then maybe like let's say we assign habits habits plays behind jesus and we change the midfield around a bit um or maybe we move jesus out to the right and play habits as a false nine or something like that so i don't think we should assume anything with the system for the first game of the season. Agree. Totally agree. Um, it's funny because by the time we release it, I mean, there's obviously we're going out live in this episode, but um, 
by the time the audio pods get released tomorrow or where, whenever they do, by the, basically by the time people listen to this show, the, the pace things have gone today. Who knows what the stories are going to be tomorrow? You know, we may have dropped out of the bloody Declan Rice deal by, by this time tomorrow. Who, who knows? We may have signed him. Um, so there's going to be a lot to talk about um, for, for the, for the next coming weeks. So I look forward to reflecting on, on, on more when it happens um, very quickly. I don't want to spend too long on it because we've had a long episode and a fantastic, uh, really enjoyable chat with you, Aaron. But let's talk about fixtures very briefly because the fixture list came out today. And um, no, we don't have to forensically deep dive in the fixtures, but what were the what were the biggest take-homes for you? Um, I suppose, you know, the, the the real headline is our opening day. Of the, we, 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 don't, we don't open on Friday night away like we have done for the last couple of seasons. We instead are playing on Saturday morning, like 12, 15, I said morning, the early kickoff on Saturday, home to Nottingham Forest. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about the fixtures generally? Yeah, it's um, it's always fun. Um, look, I think opening game is is nice. It's a shame it's an early Saturday kickoff. It would have been nice if that was a, a Saturday 3 o'clock or a 5.30 game. But we will be the first game on the new TNT Sports, which I think will be interesting. Yeah. Um, no idea if that's going to be any good or not. Um, then, yeah, like we've got a pretty decent August, like Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace and Fulham. That's good. The interesting bit then is in, in September and October, we play Man United at home, Spurs at home and Man City at home, which means because of that, we have a lot of big away games in the second half of the season. And you look at how the away games we finish with, uh we have City away in March, then we have Brighton away, Wolves away, Spurs away, Man United away at the end of the season. Um so those away games and we don't yeah, and I know games will get moved around and things might, you know, change and this is always very hard to judge. And if we're still in with a Champions League shout, like I think someone analyzed the fixtures and after every group stage game in the Champions League, we're at home. Um, which is great. But what that probably means is that in February, March, April, um, when we have two-legged Champions League ties, hopefully, we're probably going to be away because there's a lot of away games in that second half of the season. I'm looking at the fixtures now. We've got West Ham away and Burnley away back-to-back in February. We've got your Wolves and Spurs away back-to-back in April. So there's going to be some tricky away games but we finish with Bournemouth Man United and Everton so yeah that should be should be good I'm looking forward to um to the new season it's always exciting when you get those fixtures in your calendar and um you can just start planning things and um yeah it should be good really is I think I think the the slightly pessimistic side of me feels like you know, when you've got all those home games at the beginning and, and you know, you've got those tough away games in the second half, it does put yourself under quite a lot of pressure to get to Christmas in a pretty good position or get to the new year in a pretty good position, right? Like if Arsenal are like, I don't know, sitting in, let's just say fourth place yeah, um, by the end of the year, you would worry a little bit about the second half of the season, wouldn't you? And, um, and I, I think the other thing is <laughs> Tottenham away around that period when it is, it's giving me really scary 
um deja vu vibes from you know when we when we failed to finish fourth the season before last it was around that same time wasn't it going into the last few games of the season going to the Spurs away so I am um, ultimately if we are going to be fighting for any if we're going to be fighting for for the Premier League or top four or whatever in those final few games of the season it will matter like Spurs, the Spurs game will matter. The, the Man United game will matter. Like surely they will matter for something. Um, so um, yeah, that is that is making me nervous already. Yeah, but I'm but I'm very much looking forward. To yeah, it. yeah. I'm just trying to think. Like there's a there's always like these little themes that I look at. Right, the first thing you do is like when is Spurs, when is Man United, who's first, who's last. Uh, then I always look at Christmas as something that I find very interesting. And we've got Anfield. Liverpool away on the 23rd of December, which is going to be tricky. Then and Christmas is generally okay. Like we've got West Ham and Fulham in between Christmas and New Year. Uh, then there's guesses cup games. And then January is pretty kind. Um, there's, I think the one good thing is there's no, like I think last season we looked at that run we had when we had like, was it Chelsea, Man City, Spurs. There's no horror run of fixtures back to back as it stands. Um, where we have more than like two games that are tricky. Like every difficult game is generally followed by a relatively okay game. The only one is, which is March, we've got Chelsea at home and then Man City away, but then you've got Luton after that. Um, and also we, we have no idea which teams are going to be good. Like yeah. I think look, Forrester at home, you assume Forrester will be okay, but they could go and sign another 10 good like players <laughs> like in the window right similarly like chelsea liverpool man united brighton brentford like all these clubs like will they be good will they be bad who knows um villa yeah. um everton like the, the league just gets more and more competitive every year newcastle we haven't talked about newcastle like the league gets more and more competitive every year and actually i think that's probably better for us because the thing that really screwed us over last year was no one was able to come close and take points off City. Um, and basically in that last the last three months of the season, City just won because they were just so much better than everyone else. And a more I think we would benefit from a more competitive league because yeah. I think we will drop points to teams around us. And if other teams do, that's okay. And it kind of brings them closer to us. Agreed. Agreed, mate. Cool. Well, that's our initial reflections on the fixtures anyway. Those horror runs that you sort of alluded to, I I hope don't develop when fixtures get moved yeah. around. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. We're going to have to accept, if we're playing in the Championship, kind of in both ways, we're playing in the Champions League, it's going to be hard. It's just, yeah. it's just the way it is. But we'd rather be in the situation anyway, right? And I think that just compounds the fact that we, you know, doing these big deals for big players, we just need to, to to get our squad in that position where we can compete. So, wicked. All right, mate. Well, look, good chatting to you. And um, it was great to do another pod after a little break. Um, hopefully, the next pod we do will um, have an element of a squad review to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to do an episode where we'll go through the squad and figure out who are the players that we, we, we think we might want to sell or loan out. Um, and hopefully we won't leave that episode too long because otherwise some of those players will, will, will have probably already left. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, watch this place. I say that and I just checked on, on Twitter just before we closed and I, the, the story which I've just read, which was Dharmesh Sheth from Sky Sports is reporting that Inter Milan looking to sign Florin Balogun mm. and are expected to form the approach. Sign him, not permanently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
interesting so yeah that's a, that's a, we should have a very big conversation on balogun i've got some views Thoughts. yeah okay. look forward to that we'll save cool. that for another day excellent aaron and thank you very much yes thank you very much see you soon. good night everyone and thank you for listening please like should sub share please share. like subscribe share sub share all those things please do those things please really do. appreciate it thank you all good night thank you bye bye